Al Jazeera podcast. It's a drug that funds wars. In Daretesa, in northwestern Syria, rebels from the Hayat Tahrir al-Sham group are seizing drugs at the border crossing. They claim to have intercepted thousands of sacks filled with captagon. It's a drug that helps people fight wars, including the war in Syria. The pill is now by far Syria's biggest export, dwarfing its legal exports put together. They started bringing us these pills. All the armed militias are taking these pills, and whoever claims they're not taking these pills isn't actually fighting. It's captagon, an amphetamine-type stimulant that seems to have become one of the most common drugs in the Middle East. It's addictive. Its market is reportedly worth billions of dollars, and it's taking a toll on users in a region with some of the strictest drug laws in the world. Although it is banned, but captagon is still almost the cheapest drug that you can find in the market, especially, of course, in the black market. Unfortunately, people don't talk about it. So what exactly is Captagon? And is it the menace so many people claim? Or has the media exaggerated its prevalence and its powers? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Captagon may not be well-known outside of the Middle East, but it's become a big enough deal in the United Kingdom that the British Parliament heard testimony last month about its trade and manufacture. More doctors have started to report Captagon usage and those uh, dealing with Captagon dependency, and that has become a large, large challenge. So it certainly is a public health threat. That's Caroline Rose. She testified in June at the hearing. I am the director of the Strategic Blind Spots Portfolio at the New Lines Institute for Strategy and Policy, where I direct a project on the Captagon drug trade and a project on post-withdrawal security implications. Okay, so break that down in layman's terms. What do you tell your mom that you do? I am a researcher at a think tank conducting work on Middle East policy. That's what I tell my mom. So, Captagon, it is not exactly a catchy name, but it is the brand name of a medicine from the 1960s produced by a German pharmaceutical company. How did it go from being manufactured commercially to the illicit trade that we're seeing today? So it's a bit of a long journey. As you mentioned, in the 1960s, it was pharmaceutical substance that was accessible for those seeking help with ADHD, other sorts of uh, attention deficit disorders, sometimes weight loss. By the 1980s, the World Health Organization makes it an illicit substance. It's since been banned in the U.S. and elsewhere. Captagon has been banned by health authorities in most countries for decades. Then we start to see it drift into the black market, especially in the Balkans, where it's produced by a number of post-Soviet factories and organized criminal organizations. Particularly in the 1990s, we start to see an uptick in demand. When we started to see this boom in demand in the Gulf, that's when we started to see the trade again move to the Middle East, specifically in the Levant, primarily in Syria and Lebanon. 
describe the drug for me. It's a tiny white pill. How much does it cost and how do you get it? Really, the definition of Captagon, it's kind of a loose definition. It's marked by the fact that typically pills have two interlocked Cs resembling crescent moons. Mm. That's why it's called Abu Hilain, which means the father of the two crescent moons. And that's typically the physical marker of what a Captagon tablet is. It's classified as an ATS, an amphetamine-type stimulant, and it includes either a little to a lot of amphetamine inside of the pill, sometimes no amphetamine at all, and a variety of cutting agents, a number of different chemical additives that producers put in. We've seen Captagon pills that are white, that are yellow, that are pink, that are rust-colored. And as you can imagine, with more types of Captagon pills, the prices have also varied. Mm. In the Gulf, we have calculated that it can go up to $25 per pill. This is typically for the white Lexus variant that has a pure concentration of amphetamine. Whereas in Syria and Lebanon and Jordan, you can get Captagon for a few dollars or even a few cents per pill. As for who's buying it, Caroline says that can also be pretty varied. So Captagon, one of the interesting things about this drug is that it has a pretty wide appeal amongst a number of different demographic profiles. The rich, the poor, the young, the old are attracted to Captagon. For example, in the Gulf, where you have a growing youth population and a rising unemployment rate, also with a lot of cash to spend, Many communities are struggling to find new things and fun things to do. So Captagon has become a very popular substance uh, for that very reason. It's also popular amongst foreign worker populations and those that are working multiple shifts. It's popular amongst students, particularly university students that are staying up late at night studying for exams. They need that boost, then they need something to get them through the night. There's also, of course, popularity amongst fighters just because Captagon allows them to, again, not eat as much, uh, stay up late, feelings of violence and invincibility. Mm. So we've seen armed groups also take Captagon for that reason. While Captagon may be making its suppliers in the Middle East rich, drug policy experts say users are often the ones paying the price. After using the stimulants, when you use it, you are uh, hyper, you have lots of positive vibes, you want to do everything, you know, you can focus. When you stop using it without treatment, you will go to the other side, you will be depressed, antisocial somehow, etc. Eddie Araj runs Manhara, an NGO that provides medical care for drug users in the Middle East and North Africa. He's based in Lebanon and has been working with recovering addicts for four decades. Unfortunately, people don't talk about it because of the repressive laws. They are afraid from getting incarcerated. And that's why they are putting at a high risk when they are not seeking services, when they start to face health problems, be it mental or physical health. However, if the police look at someone who is using drugs, they take it to the jail, while for a person who is diabetes person, they provide him with the syringes, they provide him or her with insulin. If they need the hospitalization, it's covered, etc. Here, it's only the prison. And 
we have more than six countries in our region that still have death penalty for drug use. This was the experience of 26-year-old Mohammed from Syria. He started using Captagon after a divorce from his wife. After I got divorced, I could not forget my wife. So I became addicted for four years. I lost my job, my family. I had an accident and destroyed my car. I lost all my people. I became aggressive with all people. He agreed with Ili that people avoid treatment because they're scared of authorities. I tried to come to the hospital on my own more than 10 times, but I was afraid of being questioned by police. Mohammed is now in recovery for Captagon addiction. Then I could not resist anymore and wanted more, and this is when I came to the hospital. Caroline says a major concern is that the drug is mixed with additives. One of the biggest mysteries of Captagon is what defines Captagon. And we found that over time, producers are putting in less amphetamine and more additives that should concern public health sectors. But there's a geopolitical angle to all of this as well. After the break, we'll look at how involved Syria is in the Captagon trade. Amelia Earhart was a woman of many firsts. She broke aviation records and challenged conventions about what a woman should do. But critics also questioned whether she was even a good pilot. In hindsight, did her daring and desire for fame result in her demise? I'm Charles Dance. Follow me as I follow the life of Amelia Earhart in Al Jazeera's docudrama series, Hindsight. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. So, Caroline, can you talk to me about the scope of this trade? Because listening to some people and reading some of these headlines, it's almost as though the Syrian government of today wouldn't exist without the Captagon trade. Syria has turned into a narco state thanks to a drug called Captagon. Syria has ended up a true narco state. Is that an accurate assessment? How integral is this drug to the government. So Syria is the production hub for the Captagon trade. The large-scale Captagon facilities that are producing millions of pills per day, those are concentrated not only in Syria, but also in regime-held territories of Syria. We found that uh, primarily these facilities are linked with very key figures, business figures in Syria's business and commercial sector that have very close ties to the Syrian regime and also have linkages to Syria's 4th Armored Division, which is commanded by Bashar al-Assad's brother, Maher al-Assad. It's very important to remember that there are layers to all of this. So, for example, when we look at the broad scope of how much the Captagon trade is worth overall, accounting for both seized and unseized Captagon shipments, I think the most accurate assessment that has been put out there has been that of AFP back in November 2022, where they did a calculation and estimated that annually the Captagon trade from the Mediterranean to the Gulf is worth $10 billion annually. And that is still a conservative estimate. The Observatory for Political and Economic Networks last month 
estimated that the Syrian regime was getting almost around $3 billion per year for these specific figures that are very high up and entrenched in the Syrian regime. So one of the reasons that Captagon is in the news right now is because many Arab countries are attempting to normalize relations with Syria. Syria has been readmitted to the Arab League, ending 12 years of political isolation. Yes, it's a big development. Which, of course, has been a pariah state since the government's brutal crackdown on protests that eventually spiraled into a civil war more than 10 years ago. Gulf countries are the drug's biggest market, and governments there routinely seize massive quantities of this drug. The Lebanese government said it recently foiled a plot to smuggle 9 million amphetamine captagon pills headed to the Gulf. So is trying to stop captagon trafficking part of the reason that Gulf countries are once again engaging with the Syrian government? I think certainly the captagon trade has played a role in normalization efforts. I don't believe that it was the kind of spark that set off the wave of normalization efforts that we saw since February. Mm -hmm. I think that many countries kind of arrived at this predetermined decision to normalize with Syria after the devastating earthquake and because they believed that the current system and dynamic just hasn't worked and isolation hasn't worked. So they wanted to experiment with this normalization approach. Mm -hmm. Now, Captagon featured very prominently in all of these negotiations. They all acknowledge that the Syrian regime does have considerable agency over the Captagon trade. Also, the Syrian regime has hinted that they have that agency over the Captagon trade. And so this was seen as kind of a low-hanging fruit. Right now, we still haven't seen any major evidence that the Syrian regime is seriously reducing its role in production and trafficking processes. So, Caroline, I want to read you a few headlines. When you pop Captagon into Google News right now, you get things like, Syria's neighbors fight a flood of Captagon across their borders. A little white pill, Captagon, gives Syria's Assad a strong tool in winning over Arab states. And... Here's one that's particularly interesting. How did Europe help Syria become a bigger drug dealer than Mexico's cartels? So one thing we've been wondering about here, when we see some of these headlines, is there a bit of reefer madness to any of this? Do the media and governments exaggerate the extent of the problem or the strength of the drug at all? Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think that this is the case, of course, with a number of different drug trades. But with Captagon, as soon as organizations hear that they're affiliated with militants or that there are state actors involved or that Europe once had involvement, you start to see very interesting headlines that mischaracterize the uh, level and spectrum of involvement that this, this drug trade has. We saw this with Captagon in the mid-2010s when ISIS was believed to have an affiliation with the trade through both trafficking and production. Mm. The headlines just took off. It really was, Captagon was the jihadi pill, and this was narco-terrorism. There's a robust black market for the drug in the Middle East. Analysts say the profits fund weapons purchases for jihadist groups. Jihadis often use the drug to keep themselves awake and fearless. 
and you would see those sorts of phrases thrown around. And because of that, I would say that really did harm a policy response to the trade because by the time that we did start to see other actors involved in the Captagon trade, such as Syria's fourth division and very close regime-aligned individuals, as soon as we started to see evidence of that, governments still believed that ISIS was behind those seizures. So the policy response was quite slow. So it's very, very important that we as a public, as governments, and then also, of course, as media organizations, understand that spectrum. And we don't put stereotypical kind of names and phrases and slap that on the Captagon trade. Are there other reasons that governments might be or should be interested in cracking down on this trade besides simply the moral outrage of it all? Certainly. I I think that for governments that are still committed to punitive economic measures against the Syrian regime and have sanctions in place, this definitely has been used as a loophole for sanctions. Additionally, we've also seen Captagon not only pose itself as a public health threat, but also a security challenge. Many Captagon smuggling networks have become violent. And then finally, we're starting to see Captagon trickle beyond the Middle East into ports in, for example, northern Africa, sometimes sub-Saharan Africa, as well as southern Europe and even mainland Europe. And that definitely does pose the question of, is the Captagon trade expanding beyond the Middle East? So Caroline, finally, you have been studying this trade for several years now. Where do you see it going? Can the Syrian government afford to give up the Captagon trade, if that were even a possibility, given the apparent widespread demand for it, especially with you saying that it seems to be expanding beyond the Middle East? Certainly. I I don't see the Syrian regime anytime soon really being incentivized through these normalization processes to crack down. Now, Let's say, theoretically, they were able to shut things down. These demand pockets still exist. It could easily move into other countries and have other malign or criminal organizations take over production. That situation doesn't offer Ely, who works with addicts, much hope. Changing somehow the punishment, the sanction that It showed that it didn't do anything during the last 50 years, at least when Mr. Nixon started this slogan, War on Drugs, it became a war on people who use drugs, not a war on drugs. We need to be more inclusive. We need to give a space for these people for reintegration, for treatment, and of course, for being okay with their mind, with their body, and with their neighbors and relatives. And that's The Take. We'll be back tomorrow. This episode was produced by David Engers with Chloe K. Lee, Zaina Badr, Sonia Bagad, Veronisa Campana, Amy Walters, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, Khalid Sultan, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio.